You're listening to audio from Memphis Christian Church. If you'd like to check out more resources or donate to this ministry, please visit memphiscc.info. Well, good morning. It's great to see all of you this weekend. It's especially great to see those of you who are guests with us today or returning to MCC, and so you're new and still checking things out. We're so glad that you're here, and I hope sometime over the next half hour here you'll take a minute and complete that Connect card that you found in there. All that does is initiate a contact between me and you, and it also allows us to start sending you a weekly email on Wednesday to let you know what's coming up and gives you a blog about next week's message so you can anticipate uh, those things. I want you to join me right now, all of you join me in welcoming Carter Gammons, who was baptized last Saturday night. We're very excited about Carter. Carter is a student at New Albany High School and part of our Collide ministry. He's here every weekend sitting on the second row over here, and we are excited to celebrate his baptism. And then last weekend, many of you met Tariq Robinson, who came and placed his membership here in the church, and we're so excited to have Tariq, and let's welcome him again. But this Get Connected card is just an opportunity for you to to let us join you talking about your next step and, and the things that you would like to do to learn more about the church here and to develop in your relationship with Jesus Christ. On the back is a place where every week for the next uh, however many months, we're going to be sharing with you three opportunities every week, three new opportunities to where you can plug in and serve. And I'm very excited about those of you who've already responded this way, and we're connecting you and you're serving, and, and I hope that others of you will consider that in the weeks ahead. Well, grab your Bible and turn with me two places. We're going to be in the New Testament. Uh, first, we're going to be Matthew chapter 5 verse 10, where we've been going through these eight life-giving principles that Jesus gives us in these times in our life where we feel like we're about to break, have broken, where life is kind of falling apart because of the way that we've been looking at life. Jesus gives us a whole new way to look at these situations as opportunities. And in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15, where we're going to talk specifically this weekend about how to use our experience in these breaking points to encourage other people. Now, if you're new to using a Bible, you know in the very front is a table of contents, and you can look down there in, in 1 Peter and uh, and Matthew, you're going to find those towards the bottom of that list. The other thing you can do is you can look to the person next to you and find someone that already has their Bible open and then just switch with them. Right? Just hand them your closed Bible and get their open one. You'll be all set to go, and they'll find their place again. You know, I'm not much of a recycler. Do we have any green earth people in here? I, I hate to insult you, but you know... I, I am just not one of those guys that wants to rinse out my milk cartons. And Lord knows if you don't rinse it out, that little bit of milk in there, somebody's going to take the cap off a few weeks from now, and it's going to be awful. I don't like to break the tabs off of the cans. I, I know that they're, they're the most uh, important piece there, and you can get a lot of money for those, and, and we can save the landfills by doing that. You know, kind of my thing is, is if I can get it to fit in the trash can and then take it out to the burn pile and get it to burn, I'm happy with that. And in fact, I like to put those aerosol cans even in the trash because they give you the big kaboom, right? It shakes the windows in the house sometimes. My girls are so proud to live at 4338 West Leota Road, right? 
but I'm not much of a recycler. Like me or not for that, that's just, just who I am. But you know, God is. Not in a green type of way, right? God is huge into recycling. Except what God does is he recycles those times in our life, good and bad, those things that we have sometimes cast in the dumpster, if we can get it to fit in there, those things that we allow to, to sometimes uh, just really throw it on the burn pile, but then we keep picking it back up, right? God loves to take those things, and he loves to use them to do two things. One is to deepen our relationship with him, and two, to encourage other people with the journey that we've been on our selves. Now, this weekend, I want us to wrap our minds around the reality that pain happens in our life. Pain happens. It happens because of our own choices. It happens for a variety of reasons of which we're going to talk about this morning. But it's what we do with that pain that's important to us more than ever. And this is what Jesus talks about in this next life-giving principle that we're going to look at. But first, let's establish the obvious, and maybe for some of you, the not-so-obvious realities of pain and where it comes from. First, we experience pain because God has given us free will. Free will. That's something we don't talk about a lot these days. Because why? Because we're all living in it. We are fully engaged in our free will. I look at our world around us. Look, look at guys like me out there burning stuff, even though it's not good for the environment, right? We're just engaging our free will every time we turn around. Well, where does that come from? And, and why do we experience pain? Well, it starts in Genesis chapter 1, verse 27. It says that God created us in his image. In his image, he created us both male and female. And one of the things that comes with being created in God's image is the ability, the ability to choose. You and I can choose good or bad. You and I can choose things that are healthy for us, and we can choose things that are far from healthy for us. We get to choose. We can think for ourselves. We can decide whether we're going to accept God or reject God. So why not make us without free will? Why did God not make us to bow down to him three times a day, to just automatically open up our billfolds and give 10% like he commands us to do? Why not just set it up that way? Well, this is where we really, really struggle sometimes in understanding this. But without free will, love could not happen. Love could not exist. We have to have the opportunity, if we're going to love someone, we have to have the opportunity to not love them, right? You can't have one without the other. Now, free will is not only a blessing, but many of us have found that it's a burden because sometimes in our free will, in fact, many times we make what? We make poor choices. We make poor choices, and those poor choices cause all kinds of painful consequences in our lives. I can choose to use drugs. I can choose to overindulge myself in, in eating. I can choose to overindulge myself with alcohol, right? I can choose to not only experiment with drugs, but I can choose to experience 
to experiment with sex. I mean, more than ever today, not just sex between unmarried couples, but sex between males and males and females and females and, and, and everyone in between who hasn't quite yet decided which box to check on the birth certificate, right? I can choose that. I can choose to deny that I was created by God as either male or female. I can choose to be financially responsible or irresponsible. But listen, if I go bankrupt, if I remain unsatisfied with my sexuality, even after having all kinds of alterations, if I, be, if I become addicted if I have trust issues in my relationship with others because there were no boundaries in our dating relationship, I need to realize that it's not God's fault. It's mine. It's my fault. God doesn't desire for you to have the pain, but the pain of poor choices is part of having free will. And here's the really big kicker, and that is that God also gives others, everyone else, free will too. And I realize that even in this very room, that one out of four females and one out of six females, as I was reminded this morning, has endured horrific pain because of abuse, abuse by fathers, abuse by mothers, abuse by uncles and aunts, cousins. Horrific abuse. Those of you who have been hurt by a teacher, a classmate, God could have prevented that hurt from happening to you. It's true. All he would have had to have done was to take away the person's free will to do wrong. Right? But what happens if he takes away their free will? Well, he takes away yours too. You see the dilemma? Having free will, it's a blessing. But it's also a burden and pain. Pain is part of having free will. Second, God uses pain sometimes to get our attention. To get our attention. Pain's a warning light. Pain's a buzzer. Pain's an alarm. It says it's time. Something's wrong. Pain is a symptom of a problem. Sometimes that pain Sometimes that pain is severe and it's immediate, like the internal stab of a heart attack. I remember just a few years ago, ended up being something else, but at the time, I thought that I was getting ready to have the, the big one. You know, as Fred Sanford used to say, I'm coming to see you, right? I'll be there soon. But I felt the pain here. I felt it going down my arm. And so I did what any responsible male would do. I got on the treadmill and gave myself a stress test. And I thought, if I get this thing hiked up to the best elevation, and if I can get, up, get it going for five or ten minutes and I'm okay, then I'm great. If I'm not, then I'll know. Save several, several thousand dollars doing that. Now, I don't recommend that you do that. But without these painful sensations, right, we would be unaware of the life-threatening dangers. But the blessing of pain is that it gets our attention and lets us know. Sometimes pain comes slowly, like depression. The pain's telling you something. Something needs attention. Something isn't right. Whether it's a chemical imbalance, whether it's a wrong focus in your life, whether it is unhealthy fear that has come over you, whatever it is, something isn't right. 
Now the Bible says sometimes, sometimes it takes a painful experience to make us change our ways. And isn't that disappointing? That it actually takes pain in our lives. Every parent knows this. We say to our children, we don't want you to experience the pain that we did. Please do something different. Remember the story of Jonah in the Old Testament? If you're not familiar with the story of Jonah, you can find it there in the, in the book of Jonah, chapter 2, uh, in particular, verse 7. But Jonah, remember God had said, here's the way I want you to go, Jonah. Uh, here's the way I want you to go. God's done the same for us. Here, here's the way I want you to live. Here's the message that I want you to communicate with other people. So it was with Jonah. What did Jonah do? He decided he was going to go the opposite direction. And how many of us in this room have spent at least some time of our life going the opposite direction of God? And what did that win Jonah? It won Jonah an all-expense-paid Mediterranean cruise in the belly of a fish. And it was while he was in that belly, which was not a joyful experience. It was somewhere below the carnival level of cruise lines, right? But it was there that Jonah writes, he said, when I had lost all hope, I once again turned my thoughts to the Lord. When I had lost all hope, how many of us, when we find ourselves bottomed out, whether it's an addiction, whether it's in trying to do relationship our own way, whether it's in dissatisfaction with ourself, that we bottom out and then our thoughts for the first time we think, okay, well, maybe. Just maybe God can use this. And so God uses pain to get our attention. Sometimes just in the nick of time. Third, pain teaches us to depend on God. Remember our first life-giving principle, blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who recognize their need for God. Pain teaches us to depend on God. It's sometimes only when our marriage has hit rock bottom, our house has been taken away. When we face cancer, when we say goodbye to someone we love, it's only during those times that we turn to God in desperation. Someone wrote, most of the time we don't realize that God is all we need until what? God's all we've got. He's all we've got. In 2 Corinthians, the Apostle Paul, the Apostle Paul writes about not just one time, but the many times he experienced this in his walk with God. He says, we were under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure. Now, I want to pause right here, and, and I want to cr crush a rumor. And that rumor among many Christians is what? That God won't give me more than I can bear. It's not true. It's not true. The proof is right here. God will give you way more than you could bear sometimes. He will allow things in your life that would otherwise crush you. Only so that you would learn to depend on him. Paul speaks of such a time we were under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure, so much so that we despaired even of life. We didn't want to go on. We felt the sentence of death, but... And boy, this shows some insight. This shows a man. This shows a man who has spent some time depending on God. 
because he could see it, that this pain reminded him. This happened, he said, that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God. And the truth is, is that there are some things that happen in our life that unfortunately are painful, and that's what it takes. And that's what it takes for us to, to learn that when we have a problem too big to handle, to turn it over to God and see that he's the only one who can solve that kind of problem. And finally, God allows pain to give us a ministry to others. And this is where I want us to spend the remainder of our time together this morning, is that God allows pain to give us a ministry to others. 17 years ago, 17 years ago, I sat in Bill Stone's office. It used to be right about where Tyreek is at. All the back of this room used to be offices, and there's just a little bit of room up here for the small congregation that we were 17 years ago. And I sat across the desk from Bill, and Bill, 17 years ago, had never experienced a hardship in his life. The biggest decision he had to make was whether to eat a Taco Bell or Burger King. All right? He had lived a very blessed life. Now, me, on the other hand, at 36 years old, I had experienced a lot of hurt and a lot of pain and a variety of different places in my life. I remember sitting across the desk from him when he looked me in the eye and he said, you know, Dave, he said, God can use that. He can use that too. Oh, he can use that. God can use what you've been through, David, to reach a lot of people. And, and it's one of my favorite passages of Scripture, 2 Corinthians 1.4. Uh, those of you who've been here a while, you got tired of hearing me say it the first several years, but, but it's because I was living in it, and I still live in it today. 2 Corinthians 1.4, anyone from my 2.14 group? Remember it? Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort. This is my paraphrase, but I'm pretty close, Eileen, right? Who comforts us in our time of trouble so that when others are in their time of trouble, we can come alongside of them with the hope, with the help that we've received ourselves from God. There's nothing, there's no greater comfort than you can give someone when you've experienced that very hurt, but you've turned to God and you've let him recycle that hurt, and then you come alongside someone and you encourage them in it. Val Rudolph. Val Rudolph, who was one of the first in our 214 group seven years ago when we formed it with the focus on cancer today, our focus is on grief. But when the focus was on cancer, she was one of the first in there when she was diagnosed with stage four colon cancer. Stage four colon cancer, a woman who for the last seven years went to work every day she had that, who went through hundreds of rounds of chemotherapy, three digits radiation, surgeries to remove half of her lungs, surgeries to her abdomen. And you know this week when I went to her house when she had taken her last breath, you know the comforter that was laid over her? I, I don't think Pam Lee's back from Florida yet. But it was a comforter that Pam Lee, who was in that 214 group, who had had cancer years before, made for her. And it said Memphis Christian Church and a big cross on it. And it said 214. 214. She lived it. 
And she passed from this life into the next, proclaiming it even from her sickbed. God allows pain to give us a ministry to other people. One of the most revealing accounts of how God works through pain is found in Genesis chapter 37. We really enjoyed this last night. I'll try to keep it under five minutes. 17 chapters, 13 or 17 chapters, recorded about a man's life. Now listen, when God spends that much time of his word on a mere man's story, we need to recognize that there's something big about that story. And in this case, it's all about how God can recycle the pain in your life. I encourage you to go home and read it. Here's the cliff notes if you're like me and won't read it. The cliff notes this. There's a man named, boy named Joseph. He, he had two. He had a stepmom and he had his mom. A mom that his dad loved, a mom that his dad didn't love. Right? He was born of the woman that his mom, that his dad loved the most. So he's kind of the favorite, right? Some of you are the favorite like me favorite. His daddy presented him with the nicest outfit, right? It was a Nike brand coat. Whatever was the coolest thing back then, Tariq. He put this nice coat on this boy. And this boy didn't hesitate to wear it. Well, one day his brothers, there's a whole group of them, a dozen or so brothers, they took him out and they decided to get rid of him. And, and you know, don't just kill him. Right? Sell him off. How many of you thought about selling your brothers? Says, I wish I had read this back when I was a kid. They would have been gone. But they sold him. They sold him, and then they took that coat, and they ripped it to shreds, and they took it home to their dad, and they said, look, Daddy, what happened to your favorite son? A bear came, a lion came, chewed him all up. Here's all that's left. Got choked on the robe. We pulled it out of the lion. Here it is. It's all nasty. I'm so sorry. Broke the dad's heart. So what happens to Joseph? He hadn't done anything wrong. Joseph sold into slavery. Moved from his homeland to a place he'd never been. Sold into slavery in Egypt. He was put in a man's house by the name of Potiphar. Now the thing that we remember about Potiphar is that Mrs. Potiphar, she was a hottie like my wife Sarah. All right? And so here's Joseph. Now Joseph could have given up. Joseph could have said, why all these bad things, Lord? Why would my family sell me out? Count me as dead. But instead, he went to work there in his present situation. He embraced. He let God start recycling that. And he became so popular to Potiphar that Potiphar gave him control of everything in his entire household. And this dude was wealthy. He had it all. And Potiphar's wife, Every 16-year-old's dream, I said last night. She catches him in the house and says, hey, come over here. I got something for you. And he says, how could I do that? How could I do that? God has blessed me. Your husband's taking such good care of me. And what she do, just like every wild woman, she grabs his coat, rips it off of him. And what did he do? Take her to bed? No, he ran out the front door buck naked. And what does she do? She calls her husband, says, Oh, man, Potiphar, this boy that you put in my house, he tried to rape me. He tried to take advantage of me. You need to come home right away. Another painful experience, right? What happens? He gets thrown in prison. He gets thrown in prison. I was with someone the other day, and we were inside a cell. It wasn't because I was arrested. <laughs> I've gotten past that. 
But, but it just reminded me of how awful it is, no matter what you've done, to have all of your freedom stripped from you in that moment, to have no control. And that's where he was. But yet, what did he do? He allowed God to recycle even that. He made friends with the other prisoners. He listened to them, and there was a baker in there, and, and there was the cupbearer that just happened to belong to the king. And I don't know what they did to take him off, but the king had put them in that same prison. They started having dreams, right? Joseph said, hey, those dreams, those are either from the Mexican food that you had last night, right? He was, he was able to identify the source of their dreams. And so time goes by. They get out of prison. Joseph's still there. What happens? God gives the Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, a dream. He gives him a dream, and he can't figure out what in the world it is. But there's two guys, one of them sitting right next to him that knows who can. And they say, hey, there's a guy in prison right now. His name's Joseph, and he can tell you exactly what this means. And he had Joseph brought to him, and Joseph described to him in every detail because God gave him the insight to be able to do it. And he said, there's going to be a famine in this land. We need to store up goods. And what Pharaoh say, he said, who else would be better than you to do this? Made him second in command. Now today, the vice president's nothing to us. Not, not the way men's. But, but in that day, the vice president controlled everything, including the food. And one day, one day when the food ran out because the famine did happen, who came to beg at Joseph's feet, not knowing that he was even still alive, his brothers and eventually his dad? how God uses, how God recycles the pain in our life. Genesis 50, verse 20. These were Joseph's words. You intended it to harm me, he said to his brothers, but God intended it for good. For good. This is how God recycles our pain. No matter the pain of the past, God will turn it around and he'll use it for good. He never wastes a hurt. But we do. We can waste it if we don't learn from it and if we don't share it with others. And this is where Jesus takes us next in this next to last life-giving principle, Matthew 5, verse 10. Blessed, filled with joy, satisfied, content, are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. What's persecution? Well, the bottom line is it's pain. Persecution is pain. It's pushback, sometimes physical, sometimes it's mental. What's righteousness? Well, righteousness is more than just being a good person. Righteousness is when our life is completely oriented, when it's completely centered on God and his will for our life. And God's will in recycling the pain of past breaking points is that we use this experience to come alongside of other people to point them to him. It's what being part of the kingdom of heaven is all about. It's about storing up treasure, people's lives in heaven. And there's a peace, there's a blessing, there's an inner joy knowing that our pain isn't wasted. And how we allow God to use our pain has eternal consequences. You've got to understand this. 
for others around us. And that's where 1 Peter comes in. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15, describes our responsibility to share our past pain, to share our story this way. He says, always be prepared. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness. Do this with respect. God wants you. God wants you and me to take the initiative to share our story. It's up to us. He asked that of us to always be prepared. Last weekend, we gave all of you ladies a, a journal. And some of you went home and used it to make a grocery list. So some of you went home and you tore the pages out to use it for the dog to wet on, right? I, you know, whatever. I'm glad you found some use for it. But, but the whole idea behind it is, is we're a people. We're a people who, who want to see God at work around us and in our lives. And so we write these things down. We journal. We keep track of our story and what God's doing and, and rewriting it and recycling some of the things, redeeming some of the things that we've experienced in our lives. I started such a thing several years ago in my marriage, uh, in my marriage, in my ministry, kind of same thing. <laughs> Not really, Sarah. But, but I started writing things down, and so far all I've got are chapter titles, right? Every minister writes these things down someplace because you never want to forget them. But, but they're chapter titles, okay? And the title itself says the story. I, 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 can, I can go back now, uh, you know, 15 years to when chapter three happened. Chapter three is entitled, You Forgot to Pass the Cup. And, and you're like, what in the world? Well, back in the day, we had pews in here, and there was an old guy sat over here, and this old guy was kind of distinguished among the congregation, and, and, and men would get up, and they'd come over here, and they'd get the little tray of bread, and they'd pass it. They'd pass the communion. Now, the problem with that, the problem with that is sometimes people got skipped, right? It, it, I mean, something we do every week, but guys really struggled with it, all right? We tried to let, let women do it, and they got it right. Finally, we just had everybody come up and get their own. But anyway... They passed the bread, and in the quietness of that room, in the quietness of that room, this old guy says, you forgot to pass the cup. There was nothing nice about that. There was nothing nice about that. Any other person would have just sat there and said, well, I'm going to choke on this piece of bread, but it's okay. I'm not going to disturb the whole room. So what's chapter three about? It's about the self-centeredness of sometimes our lives, even when we're Christians. All we think about is ourselves. Chapter 10. Chapter 10, some of you can relate to this. Chapter 10 is stop using me as a sermon illustration. <laughs> I can't tell you how many people, some have just gotten irate with me and they say, what are you doing using my situation in church? And I say, I am so sorry. I didn't know that you were conceived in the back of your parents' car. I, I didn't know that. But now I do. But I wasn't talking about you. I was talking about Joe over here. You can tell. <clears throat> but one of these days, one of these days, some young preacher's going <laughs> to pick that up, and he's going to be going through something like that. 
And he's going to look at that and he's going to say, I'm not alone. <laughs> I'm not alone. There's crazy people generations later too. But when it comes to sharing my own story, my personal story, I find that it happens the majority of time in the hospital. Uh, when, when I walk in to someone's room and visit with them because I've spent more than I wanted to of my early years of my life with someone that I loved in the hospital. I know how important that is. And so when I'm there, I can share their story. I, I find I share my story when, when I sit down with a couple who, who want to be married. They may have been living together for however many years, but, but now they decide they, they want to get it right, and they want God's blessing on that. And so we sit down, and I get to share with them my years of marriage, good marriage. As I told a young man the other day that, that says, I want to talk to you about this in my life. I said, I want to talk to you because I want you to have the depth. I want you to have the enjoyment. I want you to have the love that I have found in my wife. I, I find myself talking to that person who's struggling with grief or anxiety because I've been there and I, and I can share my story with them. But I've got to tell you, sharing my story means going back to the pain sometimes. Going back to the past. The smell of a hospital where a family member died. I, I can't tell you, walking in and smelling that smell it just brings it all back. And some people never go again. You wonder why people don't visit you at the funeral home. One, they don't know. Don't know how important that is and they can't get beyond themselves like, mister, you forgot to pass the cup. But they also can't stand to go there because it brings back their pain. It's up to me to calculate the risk of being vulnerable in this way and then take that risk. And so be prepared. Think through these things. Realize how God can use them, how he can recycle these things, and be willing to share with others your story, your experience with God. Second, be humble. Be humble and realize how much courage it took for someone to approach you in their brokenness. Remember, it's be prepared when someone asks you. You don't need to take your Bible out and hit them over the head. You don't need to go out and grab them by the ear and trick them into something else. You need to be ready for when they ask. And you should live your life in a way that everybody's curious about you and what God or what, whatever has happened to you. You know, this is very humbling to me. When someone walks up or calls me, I realize now how much courage that that takes for someone to do that. I, I find myself to be very approachable, very, you know, very understandable. I, I'm the same here as I am at the Walmarts. Sometimes even wear the same clothes. But I am humbled by the reality that someone would have the courage to say, hey, can I talk to you about this situation in my life? And so many times I approach them back by saying, hey, I'm honored that you would bring me in. I'm honored that you would let me share in your grief. Let's walk together through this. L let me share with you what God has done in my life. And I think this is what Peter's talking about when he says to do this with gentleness 
and respect. We're not saying I've got it all together. We're saying I am, I've not got it all together. I have questions too sometimes. But here, here's how God can, can work with this. Third, be honest. Be honest about your hurts and faults. Be honest that you too ask why at one point. Be honest that doubts run through your mind. But also tell them about the faith that you're finding and that you're discovering that's being strengthened. Be honest about where you're at in your own recovery, your own journey. It helps people open up and it helps them to get a little bit stronger too. So many of us say, God, we, we think God's going to use our strengths but God uses our weaknesses. If he were to use our strengths, people would say, what? Well, I'll never have that. I'll never get there. But when he uses our weaknesses, people can say, hey, I can relate to that. I can do that. I can take that next step. Be honest. Earl Carroll. Earl's back there. Glenn Bullock was here last night. You just look for the two ugliest men in the church and you'll know them. But Earl and Glenn, they begin, they begin on June 6th. It's the Monday night at 7 o'clock, but it's called The Meeting. Now, if you're familiar with recovery at all, you know how important The Meeting is. But this is a Christ-centered meeting. Yes, the 12 steps are important. But what they're going to do is they're going to be looking at these and similar eight life-giving principles so that no matter where you're at in recovery, there's a spot for you with those guys. Now, right now, it's for men only. I would say very soon there will be one for ladies too. But I encourage you to check that out because God wants you to be honest about your hurts and faults. And that is the perfect place, the perfect setting to begin that journey. And finally, finally, God wants you to be a witness, not a defense attorney. Not a defense attorney. <laughs> Just as soon as I say that, we, we have a wonderful attorney in our church family. And I remember the first time I invited my personal attorney 10 years ago to visit our church. And that weekend, the associate minister, his name was Matt LaRocco at the time, that weekend, Matt, of all times, of all the times, he told an attorney joke. And it was terrible. And I went up to my friend Bob Houston, and I said, Bob, I am so sorry. <laughs> that does not represent me in any way. In fact, he's gone next week, right? <laughs> But God wants us to be a witness. What's the difference? You are not going to argue anyone into a relationship with God. So quit arguing. Quit feeling like you have to defend him. He's big enough. Instead, you be a witness to his life-transforming power. You be that person that it's undeniable who gives you strength. The evidence, as we've said, the evidence should be written all over you. And you cannot deny the evidence that God exists when you see the transformation in a person's life. I remember the first time I was called to testify in a trial for a case I helped work on 30 years ago. The opposing attorney. It was my very first time, Earl. My very first time, and I get called down to the bench. I had all of these charts, probably th that size right there. I had three of those things, and it, and it showed where the, the subject, where the, uh, the uh, defendant had uh, siphoned off money from accounts. That's what I used to do. 
And so anyway, I, I was prepared to testify. I, start, I began by the defense attorney gets up there. And what's he do? He starts poking holes in me. Well, how long have you been doing this? Right? Is that, is that really right? I, I don't think that one's right up there. And luckily, I'd had an old crusty guy with a lot of experience sit down with me before that first time. And he said, David, don't pay any attention to those questions. Only speak to the evidence. Right? Only speak to the truth. It'll take care of itself. And that was such a valuable lesson. And you and I need to understand that we don't have to defend what God has done in our life. We simply bear witness to the reality of what he's done. We give reason for our hope. And the reason why we do this is because we can't imagine anything greater than that day than when we stand in heaven after we've seen God than to see the lives of people around us who had the courage to come up to us and ask us for the reason for our hope, who I sat down with to counsel in marriage while they were living together, and I said to them, you may not want to hear this, but if you want me to do your wedding, I want to just share this with you. Not you have to do this, not you have to go through counseling, but I want you to hear this, that if you want to have a marriage that lasts, if you want to experience a love that you've never experienced before, then you've got to have God is not just the center, but he's got to be everything. He's got to be everything in your life and in your life, and then he's everything when you put it together. Can you imagine that person? I can. <laughs> Walking up and saying thank you. They may not thank you here, but they will thank you there. And I think this is part of what Jesus is saying when he's giving us this principle. He says, you're blessed. You're blessed when you choose to let God recycle your pain because it's then that you're part of the kingdom of heaven when you do. My girls asked me recently, they said, Daddy, why don't you have any hobbies? <laughs> what do you mean any hobbies? Well, well, you don't do this, you don't do that. I said, well, I don't need a hobby. What I do, and, and, and I'm serious about this, I've never had a hobby. And it's not just because I'm weird. <laughs> but my response was, I don't need one, girls. I love doing what I do. I love pouring into the lives of other people. I love telling them what God did for me in my breaking point. And it's the most significant thing I can do. Yes, I get tired. Yes, I get fed up with people who don't want to listen or don't want to apply. Or last night I had a whole row of kids just jibber-jabbering over there. And for a minute I forgot, well, that's, that's just what people do. I wanted to just rip their heads off. <laughs> yes, those times come. But there's nothing more invigorating and recharging than to realize the eternal significance there's nothing more redeeming than to realize that the hurt that I endured in some of the darkest times of my life that God has used in someone else's darkest moment. These are the things that are of the kingdom. And so I ask you this weekend, are you a recycler? Are you a recycler? Or are you just holding on to it? Are you a recycler or have you just stuck it out in a bucket that you keep out in the garage and you keep forgetting to set out at the curb? Are you a recycler? 
and you've just taken those things that have happened in your life and you've stuffed them down, you've put them in a bag, and you've taken them out to the burn pile, and then you brought them back in, then you've taken them out there. Maybe you've even taken the torch to them, hoping to never be brought up again, hoping to never see those things again, just up in smoke, destroying the atmosphere. Or are you that person who has said, God, God, I know that you can do something with this. I trust you. I trust you. If you'll bring them to me, I'll give them the reason that I have for my hope. God wants to recycle your pain and use it in the life, in your life, with him and with the people around you, maybe your own family members. And as I always say, it might be that someone that you don't really know very well, but that will come back and share their story with your family member, and it will make all the difference in the world. The world is full of people who need to hear your story. Don't let it go to waste. Don't let the pain go to waste. So here's what we're going to do. I'm going to pray for you. And then I encourage you to respond one of three ways today. There's just three choices. Going to keep it simple. The first is this. After I pray for you, I challenge you to come and surrender your life to Jesus Christ in baptism if you have not already. Because this is where recycling begins. It has to begin there. It's not the end. It's the beginning. When we surrender our life to Jesus Christ, the recycling already begins. If you're already an immersed believer in Jesus Christ, then come. Come and let's pray together. Whatever it is, whatever hurt has been allowed to happen in your life, whatever hurt has brought you here today, believer or not, come. And let's talk about that next step. Chances are there's someone sitting in the room, many someones who've been through something similar, who've given me permission, even this morning, to say, David, if you meet one of the four ladies that have been sexually abused, if you meet one of the six men, you can send them to me. I'll get them the counseling. I'll get them the encouragement that they need. If you're that person, number three is like I said, there are people all around you. There are people all around you. Maybe they were the person that found their place in the Bible and you, and you grabbed your, their Bible from them, right? Maybe they're that person that you see cry every time that they're here. Sometimes those tears are gratefulness. Sometimes those tears come as God recycles the pain in our lives. Just gently reach out to them today. Say, hey, you want to talk? Uh, you want to share what's going on, what God's doing. I'd sure like to find someone that I can share with. I encourage you to take one of those three steps today and be blessed. Blessed are those who are persecuted, who endure pain and allow God to recycle it because that's, that's the kingdom of heaven. Let's stand together and let's pray. Father, thank you.
Thank you for your word. Thank you for these people that we have like, like Joseph. <laughs> real people, real skin in the game, real hurts, unimaginable hurts for some, but for others all too real, all too real. Pain of rejection, pain of abuse, the pain of depression, the pain, Father, of loss, of of a diagnosis, the pain of loneliness. Father, the pain of just feeling helpless as if there's no place to turn, that we're in a prison cell of our own. Father, I pray first that, that we'll recognize that you are ready to begin recycling that pain immediately when we surrender our life to you and baptism. Father, you, you wipe those things away. Yes, the consequences still remain, but you give within us a spirit, not a spirit that's weak, but a spirit that's powerful, powerful enough to raise Jesus from the dead to begin that recycling process. Father, for those who've come here today hurting or have been hurt, that are just having difficulty, Lord. They've been trying to throw it in the dumpster. They've been trying to light a fire to it, but it just won't burn. God, today, may they come to you and may they receive the comfort of those around them that you've comforted in their similar time of trouble. Father, may we look to those that you brought into this place, people who are, who are just people, who are seeking you, who are trying to walk in the faith that we have today. Lord, help us to encourage one another, to be authentic with each other. Father, when the time is right, to even be able to be transparent and take that risk one-on-one -on -one with someone that we've come to know that's on the other side of the pain, like Earl, that, Lord, we would sit down and we would grow together. Father, thank you for your presence today and always. We worship you now. Restore us in Jesus' name.